Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. If you turn in the Church Bibles to page 955, you'll find the first of our two readings from the prophecy of Zechariah. And the reading is Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 to 13. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now, I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. And then if you'll turn ahead to Mark and chapter 11, this reading is on page 1016 of most of the church Bibles. It starts on 1015 on some of them. It's Mark chapter 11, and we're reading from verse 11, uh, from verse 1 to verse 11. So page 1016 or 1015, Mark chapter 11, beginning to read at verse 1. As Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell him, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that coat? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the coat to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead And those who followed shouted, Hosanna! 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Well, um, who'd be in leadership at this time? Um, uh, you know, I don't uh, measure myself in any way to those who are in uh, leadership in government, uh, but it's been difficult enough the last few days trying to work out what to do uh, in response to all of this, having to make decisions. Uh, and, uh, you know, I feel for all those, uh, many of you in the NHS as well, making huge decisions. Um, and uh, it's because of that, uh, because uh, leaders need to lead, that we need leaders who we can trust. Uh, you know, we, we need leaders who we can trust at any time, but there's always this question as to whether leaders are kind of telling us all the information or keeping some of it back or, uh, you know, just not really uh, filling us in as we should do. We need leaders we can trust. And yet not many weeks go by without us hearing of people in positions of power abusing their authority and abusing the people under them. I'm not talking about the current corona virus situation, but just uh, other things. The news this week, of course, has been dominated by the virus, so you may well have missed the sentencing of the movie mogul Harvey Weinstein. He was jailed for 23 years this week for rape and sexual assault. There's a man with huge influence and power in Hollywood abusing his position by abusing women. It's not just a problem in Hollywood, as you know. Rulers and dictators with huge power have destroyed countless lives down through the centuries. It's going on again uh, even now, of course. Last week, a, a British court heard the case of Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, who is the Vice President and Prime Minister of the United Arab Emirates, who has allegedly abducted his own two grown-up daughters. Uh, then there are politicians who've been, abused, who've been accused of abusing their position. Um, there's a case in the Scottish courts this week of a politician accused of sexually assaulting women who work for him. Uh, and abuse of power happens in the world of business, and not just sexually, although there is that as well. Um, powerful corporations use their power and influence to avoid ethical practices, which have a huge impact on the most vulnerable in society all over the world. Uh, in the workplace, a number here have been on the receiving end of an, of an abusive boss. And desperately, even in the church, we hear of the abuse of power in sexually exploiting people and in controlling and bullying Recent exposés have revealed that spiritual abuse is happening even in the evangelical church in Britain. And so is it any wonder that we live in a culture that is massively suspicious of power and authority? I think of the comment of someone in this church family, someone who's been helping out in a case of a church leader who's taken advantage of someone under them. They said to me, Paul, I'm beginning to wonder if I can trust any of our leaders and she was talking about church leadership. What a desperate situation we are in. At every level and in any situation, the abuse of power is a wicked thing and it causes untold misery. And, uh, you know, at times like this, boy, do we need leaders that we can trust. But when power is harnessed and channeled and used selflessly, and for the good of others, it is a wonderful thing. 
Uh, we'll come to Mark 11 in a moment. Sorry, this is a long introduction. Uh, we are going to get there. Um, but let me just tell you of a friend of mine who used to play rugby at a reasonably high level. He describes one match where a huge man, a rugby player with muscles on his muscles, built like a refrigerator on the opposing team. Throughout the entire first half, this man, mountain of a man, dominated the match. He clattered into any opposing player who had the ball and he came off better in every tackle for an entire half of rugby. My friend said I was frightened to be in possession of the ball with him near me and my friend is not a wimpy weakling like me. My point is this other bloke on the other side was awesomely powerful and my friend said immediately the half-time whistle blew I saw him sprint off the pitch directly towards his wife who was holding their baby, their newborn. And the rugby player picked up their little one and for the entire duration of the half-time, he cradled his little baby in his arms. And my friend said, that day I understood how raw power could be used for good to protect and keep others safe. That helpless little life, completely safe in the arms of a very powerful man and if anyone had made any attempt to hurt his son that man would have used his power to protect his boy now it is the use of extraordinary power that we see in Jesus Christ extraordinary power used to protect and save others and as the world faces this pandemic and as we realize how utterly weak we are as a race, how wonderful to think that there is one who has such power and that he uses it for the good of others. So as we finally turn to Mark's gospel this morning, we come to our first heading on the handout, if you're still following along. Uh, there it is, sovereign power over circumstances. As we come to Mark chapter 11, there is a, well, there's a number of things we need to remember. There's one thing we do well to remember about the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing that he has repeated over and over in these preceding chapters. He has described himself as, do you remember it, the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man, as we've thought in the last few weeks, appears in the Old Testament book of Daniel and in chapter 7, where he is given total authority in the entire universe. And we see something of what it means, of what that means, his authority, in these opening verses in Mark chapter 11. You'll see in verse 1, Jesus and the disciples have arrived very close to Jerusalem. They're approaching Jerusalem. They're almost there. And that should put us on the edge of our seats. See, through Mark's gospel, we've been building up to this point of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. He has repeatedly taught his disciples that he is going to suffer and die at the hands of the authorities. And then a couple of weeks ago, you don't have to look it up now, but in chapter 10, verses 32 to 34, he explicitly said that that would happen, that he, he, his suffering and dying was going to happen in Jerusalem. And so here we are, verse 1, approaching Jerusalem, and we should be leaning in Biting our fit, well, probably not biting our fingernails in the current situation, but waiting for the moment when Jesus will be arrested and beaten and executed. But what happens next is most surprising. And it says to us that Jesus is in complete control of circumstances. Look at verse 2. Uh, he said to his disciples, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untied and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. Jesus instructs two of his disciples to go and get a donkey. Uh, more precisely, and it's important to be precise here as you'll see as we go on, to go and fetch a colt, a young donkey that's never been ridden. 
And you see how Jesus' instructions to his disciples are so precise, so specific. And when the disciples follow Jesus' instructions, everything turns out as he says, verse 4, they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway, and they untied it. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. See what this is saying? Jesus is in control. He knows what's going to happen before it happens. He knows where there'll be a donkey. He knows that it will be tethered. He knows that as his disciples untie the donkey, someone will ask them what they're doing, and he knows what needs to be said to allow the disciples to bring the donkey back to him. There's no doubt that Jesus is in control of of events here. And that control extends way beyond the arrangements to collect a donkey. This is just one more layer of evidence to show that Jesus is in control of his own death. He'll control when the authorities will come and arrest him. He'll decide when it's his time to die. Indeed, the details of this event tell us that this was all predicted hundreds of years in advance. That takes us to our second point. So from sovereign power over circumstances to humble power on a cult. Look, there's one detail in these verses that Mark wants us to notice above all, and that's that the animal is a cult. See how it's repeated four times. Verse 2. Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there. Verse 4. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. Verse 5. Some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? And verse 6. The disciples answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. And verse 7. They brought the colt to Jesus. When I was at school, I remember my English teacher telling me that when I wrote an essay, I should avoid using the same word over and over again. My teacher urged me to expand my vocabulary and use different words to describe the same thing. My teacher explained that that would make my writing more interesting. Now, maybe you were told the same thing, but I want to encourage you, when you're reading the Bible, forget that lesson. When you're reading the Bible, be sure that you forget all that because, uh, you see, the Bible writer uses the same word deliberately. They're not doing it because they have a limited vocabulary. No, led by the Holy Spirit, they use the same word for emphasis. And we, the readers, are meant to take note of it. We're meant to to see that they're using the same word and, and think, oh, what's the word? What's the word? Mark is trying to impress the detail upon us, the detail that the disciples fetched a colt for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem. See, what follows in verses 7 to 10 is a parade that was typical in first century Israel, a king riding into a capital city, the populace lining the streets and cheering their king. It's not unfamiliar to us today. When the queen turns up in a town, people line the streets. It it happens on state occasions. Think back to the Queen's Diamond Jubilee. The streets of London with crowds, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten people deep on the side of the roads. And as she rode in her horse-drawn carriage, there were her adoring subjects, thousands and thousands of us, waving our Union Jacks and cheering with excitement. Now imagine reading a description of of an event like that, of a state celebration. And imagine over half the article being taken up with the description of where the chauffeur picked up the Queen's Rolls Royce. That would be kind of odd. But that's something of what's going on here. Ten verses about Jesus riding in Jerusalem and more than half of them dedicated to the disciples fetching a colt. 
And the reason Mark devotes so many verses to that detail is because they don't pick up a Rolls Royce, but the first century equivalent of a Fiat Panda. Except the panda's a donkey, if that's not too confusing for you. The panda's a colt. It's a very modest form of transport. Not the usual way you expect a king to arrive in a capital city. But you see then, this is no usual king. He doesn't ride into Jerusalem mounted on a magnificent stallion. He's not on a war horse. He's on a donkey, and to be precise, a colt, a young donkey. The preacher and writer Tim Keller explains, here was Jesus Christ, the king of authoritative, miraculous power, riding into town on a steed fit for a child or a hobbit. In this way, Jesus let it be known that he was the one prophesied in Zechariah, the great Messiah to come. The one prophesied in Zechariah, that was the reading that we had a little bit earlier. So um, keep your finger or something in Mark chapter 11 and, and come back with me again to that prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9. It's page 955, page 955, Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Are you there? Chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, Zion being Jerusalem. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. That's what the people were doing as Jesus rode into the capital city. They were shouting. See, verse 9, see your king comes. Hundreds of years after this was written, here is Jesus demonstrating that he is the king. And he's coming halfway through verse 9, righteous and having salvation. And the people recognized that as they shouted, Hosanna, which means save. He comes with salvation and end of verse 9, he comes gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You see, there it is. There's the point. The colt is very significant. That's why Mark dedicated so many verses to it and why he emphasized it. Not just because it was unusual, but because it points us back to this prophecy, written 500 years before Christ. Here was a predicted promise of the way God's king would come to God's people. Not with a demonstration of military might, verse 10. There are no chariots, no war horses. This is not a, a May Day procession of a communist regime, you know, displaying all their hardware with all their arsenal going out before them. Because this king had not come for war, but you see it halfway through verse 10. He's come to bring peace, and also in verse 10, to bring peace all over the world. As we've seen already, he has come to save, verse 9, for salvation. And verse 9 again, he is gentle. Here then is our gentle king. The one who has awesome power. He is the son of man. The one who has given all authority in the whole earth. Here is the one who is in control of all circumstances. The events we've read about in Mark chapter 11 have been predicted 500 years before they happen. That's powerful. Only God has that kind of ability. But you see, this one who is so powerful, with awesome power, is gentle. Sovereign power over all circumstances. Humble power on a cult. And third uh, on the handout, selfless power to save as we turn back to Mark chapter 11. See, here's the astonishing thing as we begin to bring all this together. Jesus uses his power for the good of others. He's selfless with his power. 
He uses it to save others. See, as we look back to Mark chapter 11, we see the crowd uh, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem shouting out and see what they shouted, verse 9. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna. Uh, You'll see from the footnote, Hosanna means save. It's it's what we read in Zechariah chapter 9. Your king comes to you righteous and having salvation. Now whether or not the crowd understood what they were saying, they were spot on. He had come to save. Of course, we know how the story unfolds. He was betrayed to the religious authorities. They condemned him to death. They handed him over to the Romans. He was mocked and spat upon and flogged and then killed on a cross. And if we'd been there at the time, like his first disciples and like all the others who were witnessing those events, we'd have believed that it had all gone horribly wrong. But he was in control. He came to Jerusalem knowing exactly what would happen. He spelt it out to the disciples three times. Chapter 8, verse 31. Chapter 9, verse 31. Chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. He told them that this was what was going to happen. He sent them to fetch a donkey. He was demonstrating that he was pulling the strings because it was just as he said it would be. And as he lived out Zechariah's prophecy, it was a sign that this was no mistake. He had, this had been predicted half a millennia earlier. He came to save by dying on a cross, dying in your place and mine, taking the punishment you and I deserve. The one who was given awesome power and total authority uses his power to save us. Do you see Jesus Christ doesn't abuse his power? He uses it for good, for our good, for our greatest good, even though it caused him so much pain. What a God. So verse 9, the crowd shouted, Hosanna. And then they shouted, verse 9, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, you can see from the uh, footnote that it's a quote from Psalm 118. Now, once again, whether or not the crowd understood what they were saying, they were spot on. Because in several ways, Psalm 118 expresses what was happening here. I mean, at the most simple level, the psalm encourages people to take up branches and join the crowd and rejoice in the Lord, precisely what was happening in Mark 11. At the beginning of Psalm 18, the psalmist is in trouble, surrounded by enemies, but the Lord brings him through his trouble and delivers him, precisely the pattern that Jesus' life would follow. Enemies taking him to the cross, but the cross was followed by glory. And what's more in Psalm 18, the psalm begins and ends with these words, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures Forever. That is precisely what we're seeing about Jesus. He is the Lord with all power and might, yet his love endures forever. He's good in his loving goodness. He's going to use his power for the everlasting loving benefit of his people. The crowd shouted, Hosanna, save. They quoted Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you'll see verse 10, they shouted, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Again, whether they understood or not what they were saying, they were spot on. They saw what blind Bartimaeus saw at the end of chapter 10. They saw that Jesus was the king from the line of great King David. They saw that Jesus was God's anointed king the one who would usher in an everlasting kingdom, just as it said in Zechariah 9. Now, I don't know if that's too much detail for you, but look, the big point is this. Jesus Christ is the all-powerful Lord, the Son of Man, the sovereign ruler from King David's line. He's in control of the circumstances of life. 
the momentous events of his life were predicted by the Lord hundreds of years before they happened. And then they happened in precise detail, even the detail of fetching a colt. Do you see, he has sovereign power and control, but he's nothing like the kings of other nations. He doesn't use his power to control or abuse others. No, he's humble and gentle. He brings together majesty and and meekness, highness and humility, sovereignty and submission. And in his humble gentleness, he uses his power to serve others, to, uh, to serve us, to save us by going to a cross to die. So yes, Jesus is king. And yes, he's powerful. And yes, he can defeat all comers. And if I can put it this way, you don't want to be on the opposing side and in possession of the ball when Jesus is coming towards you. He is awesomely powerful. But he doesn't fit into the world's categories. He leads like no other. He never abuses his power and authority. Rather, he uses it for our good, for our greatest good. He uses his power to save Isn't that wonderful to know at this time when we feel vulnerable and uncertain? Isn't that wonderful to know in a culture that is so massively suspicious of power and authority, and understandably so, here is one we can trust. Here is someone that we can entrust ourselves to and be totally safe. Here is one whose commands we can know are for our good. Someone who we don't need to be wary of. Someone around whom we are completely safe. Someone who will take us to an eternal home where there'll be never any danger of abuse and eventually one day never any concern of any virus. And so today we should join the crowd in crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is Jesus coming kingdom. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray. Our Father, we we live in in the most extraordinary days and um, you know how they are making us rethink and consider what we think about ourselves and the world, and uh, while Mark chapter 11 doesn't give us all the answers to all that's going on, and I doubt we'll ever have them, we, we thank you that in this passage we see the sovereign rule, the sovereign power of yourself and of the Lord Jesus, your son, and we thank you that as we see that power being used as it should be it, it, to save for our good, We thank you that it does give us confidence to come to you in these uncertain times. And so would you uh, calm our hearts and minds and encourage us deeply in Jesus' name. Amen.